Hey, um, between, <laughs> between services, um, someone gave me this prophetic word and it said this, the Lord, she was speaking, you know, from God's perspective, I will release the wind and the fire. That sounds good, doesn't it? And then this, there will be a season of upper room experience for the people of this house. She goes on and says some other stuff, but what's interesting to me is that we have Angie Dawkins with us today visiting. And uh, yeah, welcome Angie. And Angie and, and her husband Robbie and uh, their family are part of a church in Dallas called the Upper Room, which uh, if any of you know anything about worship today, you know Upper Room worship, and it's just a really beautiful, uh, powerful ministry that's happening there. And so I just thought it'd be really cool to have Angie come up and pray over our church since she's part of that church around this whole theme of Upper Room and this prophetic word. So let's welcome Angie Dawkins up here. Angie, come on up. Yes, let's all stand. Awesome. I was so excited when he shared that word because God is doing something really awesome. He's doing it all around the world. He's doing it in our church at the upper room. And I was so excited when he asked me to just pray and just to release that over this church. And so I want to do that. So I just, right now, if you'll just agree with me, we're just going to pray. And Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for what you're doing all over the world. We thank you what you're doing in our community. We thank you what you're doing in the community here. And so God, right now, in Jesus' name, I just agree with that. And I just release prophetic mm -hmm. intercession. And I release the wind and the fire in this house in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, right now, uh, I just release on the children in this house prophetic intercession and fire in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Holy yes. Spirit, come in fire and in power. And we just release it in Jesus' name. We, we agree in the heavenlies with what you're doing. And we just release it and we pray it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. And I just pray right now for every heart in here that they would just be in step with you. And I just release fire in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, Angie. Get that good. Thank you, Angie. See, I have a seat, please. Moments like this are more significant than I think we sometimes realize. It's not a formality. There, there is an, a release of things when you have significant people and the right connections come together at the right moment. That's really what a prophetic moment is. And I think this is one right now. So we receive those words and, and that encouragement and that prayer. In Jesus' name. Okay, I've been holding on to a joke for quite a while. Not sure if I should share it or not. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. And then uh, yesterday I, I saw Bill Johnson share it. So I thought, well, if he did, then I can too. Do you know who Bill Johnson is? Okay, okay, okay. So it seems there were these girls that had um, in middle school who had discovered lipstick. And so they were, they were putting the lipstick on and then kissing the mirror in the girls' room. And, you know, different colors of lipstick and all, all over the mirror. And the principal, uh, this woman principal, is trying to figure out what she could do to get these girls to stop kissing the mirror with the lipstick. 
And so she had the janitor of the building come with her and they took a number of these girls that they knew were kind of at the center of this whole thing into the bathroom. And um, she said, now girls, I wanna show you how hard it is to clean this lipstick off, these, off this mirror. And so she asked the janitor to step up and clean the, the mirror. So he pulled out a squeegee, he went over to the toilet, dipped the squeegee in the toilet. <laughs> And then went up and wiped the whole mirror off. <laughs> End of problem. <laughs> I look at that, I think, man, that is wisdom. Yeah, that's wise leadership right there. Well, we've been talking about intercessory prayer the last few weeks. And um, just, just this whole idea of interceding of stepping in between two people and, and bringing them together in some way, uh, using your influence with one person to benefit another person. That's really what intercession is. You have influence with this person and you use your influence and your relational equity with that person to benefit this other person. And so when, when we really think about that in relationship to prayer, uh, what we're doing is we're using the influence we have with God, the influence we have with heaven to bring heaven down to the earth. Now, illustration of this, this whole idea of interceding, when I, I was a senior in high school, we had a class called civics. And that was a course, I don't, I don't think they teach that anymore, but it was but they should. It was basically how to be a good citizen and what do good citizens do. And, and at the end of this course, uh, the teacher put a question in the final test, which was, what do you want to do for your career in life? And I don't know why I did this. I just, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at that point, but I didn't, you know, I could have written down, be a lawyer or a dentist or a school teacher or something like that. But I just thought, well, I'm gonna write down cowboy. <laughs> I was, I was kind of serious, just a tiny, tiny bit serious about that. But I wrote down cowboy and the teacher marked it wrong. So there were, there were a few girls, two or three girls in the class who were like the really smart girls in the class who got all A's and they were good students and they never got in trouble and they were popular and they took up a cause for me. And they went to this teacher and they argued with him as to why he could not mark that wrong. And their big argument was, you don't really know if Van was just being a smart guy or not. <laughs> you don't really know that. And so you can't mark it wrong. Maybe he wants to be a cowboy. So they argued with him. I can't remember whether I got credit for it or not, the point, but... Um, but the point is, they stepped in. They had standing that I didn't have. And they used their influence. In fact, they used, they used their equity, their relational equity with this teacher to represent me and to try to get try, on my behalf to try to help me. And that's what intercessory prayer at the core really is. And, and it is you using your standing with God to benefit others. And if you think, well, do I really have standing with God? I mean, what type of standing do I have? Well, if you know Jesus, if you have invited Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, then you have standing with God. And if you haven't yet invited Jesus into your heart and life as your Savior and Lord, then he's already 
paid for all your sins. That's already taken out of the way. And while on the one hand, I would say, if you know Jesus, then God the Father is sitting on the edge of your bed when you wake up in the morning. And he's just, he's eager for you to wake up because he wants, he wants to give you a hug. He wants to be with you. He wants, he wants, because he, he's so delighted to have you in his family. And man, you need to wake up in the morning. You just need to say that. My father in heaven is delighted. He is thrilled that I'm part of his family. You see, recognize that. That's your standing. Now, if you haven't yet received Jesus, then when you wake up in the morning, he's standing there with his arms out saying, come on, come on, turn to me. Just turn to me. That's all you need to do. Just turn to me and you'll receive all the benefits. See, the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world doesn't mean the whole world's saved. And he's standing there with his arms out saying, okay, I've already taken care of the sin problem. Turn to me and you'll be saved. You'll come into a relationship with me. And then you too will have that standing and that influence in heaven. But it is that relationship with God the Father through Jesus. And Jesus even said this. He said, I'm not going to ask on your behalf any longer. He said, because the Father himself loves you. So prior to that, it was as if, if you wanted something from God the Father, you, you slip a piece of paper to Jesus, he'd look at it and say, I'll take care of it. He'd go talk to God the Father, and then you'd get the answer. But now Jesus is saying, no, none of that. I've introduced you to the Father now. Through my death on the cross, sins paid for, through my resurrection, new life comes. Through me, my ascension to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and changes you and fills you, and the Father himself loves you. You can come directly to him now. And that's, that's the standing that you have with God if you know Jesus. It doesn't depend upon whether you were good yesterday or not. It doesn't depend upon how much you have read your Bible or how much you have prayed lately. Now, those things are important things to the relationship and to our perception of spiritual reality. And as we're going to see, the perception of what's happening around us spiritually is important. But relationally, it's not like God is, is you know, every time you sin, he's taking a step back from you. I can't be close to sin. You sin again, oh, 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 oh. Keep it up, and I'm going to be pretty far away here pretty soon. No, he's right there. The, the perception of distance is in us. It's, it's us. It's our perception. But he's right there. If you know Jesus, and you can just turn to him at any moment, and you're going to find out. You, you think that you've been walking away from him, and he's way over there, and you turn around, and he's right here. And so you have standing in heaven. If you know Jesus, you, you, can, you can come to the Father and call out to him. And when you do that on behalf of other people, um, a, a, a group of people, um, maybe a nation of people, a city, a community, you are interceding. When you come and you say, God, this city is, there's so much crime and there's, there's so much heartache and poverty. Father, that's not part of your kingdom. We know that. Come and change things here. Let your kingdom come to this city. You are interceding when you do that. When you do that with a family member, Father God, my son's rebelling against you and against me and everything else, or my daughter, and Lord, come and work in her heart, work in his heart, draw them back to you. What you're doing is you are interceding on their behalf. 
And that is such an important part of the Christian life, but I'm, I'm afraid we don't understand the fullness of it and, and how we actually carry out intercession because it's not just going to God and saying, God, I know you, so would you do me a favor, please? And I know you don't really care about this, but would you please do this just because I'm your friend, just do this for me. No, when you see intercession practiced in the Bible, hey, even those girls that interceded for me, do you know what they did? They, 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 they based their intercession on the teacher's character because they said, you're basically an honest guy and you're basically a good guy. And, and you, if you can recognize that you're not, really, you're not really acting honestly because you don't know whether or not Van's serious about this, then you know, you're gonna have to change that. So they were, they were appealing to him based upon his character. And so when we intercede, we come to God and we appeal to him based upon who he is and what he wants to do. When Abraham... Um, Abraham in the Old Testament, a key character there. And the Lord and a couple angels came to Abraham and, and they, came, they manifested in, in physical form as if they were real human beings, but it was, was the Lord Jesus and two angels. And, um, and at the end of their time with Abraham, uh, the Lord says, I'm gonna go down to Sodom and I'm gonna see if everything is as bad as I hear it is. And, and Abraham realizes if the Lord goes to Sodom, something, there's judgment coming. And so he walks along with the Lord. And you know what he says? He says, would the Lord of all the earth not do what is right? He says, you will not destroy the righteous with the wicked, will you? So what's he doing? He's appealing to God's character. And God says, of course, I wouldn't do that. And so, so, uh, uh, Abraham says, well, what if there are 50 righteous people? They think Sodom probably had maybe 10,000 people at most uh, as a city, but that would be a major city in those days. What if, there, what if there are 100? What if one out of 100 people in the city is righteous? And the Lord says, I would not destroy the city because of that, because of the one out of 100. Well, what if there are 50 out of 100? What, what if there are 20, 30? Come, finally comes down to 10. What if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom and God says, I, I wouldn't destroy the city for 10 righteous people. And uh, commentators point out that Abraham stopped before God did. We don't know. Maybe God would have said, I won't destroy the city if one righteous person is there. But it was all based upon who God is. Not, 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 not our perception of what we want, but God, what do you want? God, you're the judge of all the earth and you're gonna do right. You're good. And, and when, we, when we base our intercession on who God is and what his will is for the earth, then we're lining our hearts up with his. And then that, that becomes an impactful powerful prayer because we are praying the way Jesus taught us to let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so intercession isn't just us uh, going after God for what we want, but it is tying into God's will and God's heart and understanding his perspective and then touching his heart on that basis. So a verse I looked at last week, Isaiah 62 um, we'll just take a quick look at it here. But, but he says, on your walls, O Jerusalem, this is God speaking, I have appointed watchmen. Those watchmen are intercessors. And what that means is prophecy, prophetic, watchmen see. And so he's talking about prophetic insight. 
And he says, all day and all night, they will never keep silent. So that's passion. A prophetic intercessor has passion. And then he says, take no rest for yourselves. That's perseverance. That's persistence. You keep going. You don't quit. And then finally, he says, give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So that's saying, remind the Lord of his promises. And when you do that, what you're doing is you're, you're basing everything on promise in his character. In, um, in Hezekiah, Hezekiah makes this great prayer when the city is surrounded by a, a, a huge alien army that wants to, wants to crush them. And, and he's praying, he's the king. And he says this in, in uh, 2 Kings 19, 19. He says, now, O Lord God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, the hand of the enemy king, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord. Now, that, that was based upon God's promise to Abraham in Genesis, where God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And so here Hezekiah is reminding God of that. And he's saying, if we are destroyed right now, that can't happen. And so, God, we're calling on you to, to intervene, to intercede, to work. And we're interceding with you that you would step in and do something to, to restore and to save us. Now, how, how, do we, how do we tie in? This is really important, that we learn how to tie in to what God's doing tactically. I can know the overall strategy, which is the gospel, the kingdom goes to all the nations of the world. But the tactic would be, from where I'm standing right now, what, what's happening in the battlefront? And, and where, where do I engage? Does that make sense? Where do I engage in this? What, in other words, what's God doing right now to win this battle? Where is he beginning to work? Because if I can discern where God's working, whether it's in my life personally, or, it, or, or it's in uh, someone, someone's life around me, if I can discern what God's doing in their life, then I can intercede with passion because I have a prophetic insight into it and with perseverance and, and I can see effectiveness. Now, think of it like this. If you have a child, as I mentioned, you have a child that's in rebellion and, and you're just praying for them in general, um, God, touch their heart, speak to them, bring them back, okay? That's a good prayer. But what if you could identify a key moment in that child's life where they turned away from God? What if you could identify a key moment where that, that child was somehow wounded in their heart and that pain is still there? Or, or some moment where someone brought an influence to them that wasn't right? What if you could identify that? Then your prayer, you can go from praying in general, God turned them around, to praying in very specific. And, and like the, the, in warfare today, we've all seen this on TV where they drop a bomb out of the plane and it's a laser, it's, it's, it has this uh, laser-guided uh, missile-like effect where it could go straight to the target. Well, someone, someone painted that target. Someone, someone had a, a laser that they put on that target and then the bomb hits the target perfectly. Well, intercessory prayer is like the laser painting the target. They call it painting the target. And when you can target it, when you can say, yeah, really, really about three years ago this happened and, and I really feel like God's saying to me that that was the turning point in his life, in her life. And so I'm gonna start targeting that. 
And I'm gonna start praying for healing from that. And I'm just gonna start praying that God would move to re release them from whatever decision they made about that. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is why insight is so important. And one of the ways we gain insight is through fasting. You see in the Bible, all over Old Testament and New Testament, people fasting and praying. And so often we misunderstand the importance of fasting because we think it's kind of like making a deal with God. Okay, God, I'll suffer. I'll punish myself in exchange for you answering this prayer. Okay, God, if, if it, you know, uh, how, you know how, how many days do I have to fast to get this answer? One, two, three, four, five, six. Just let me know and I'll fast that long, whatever, whatever the deal is with you. But it's not that at all. Uh, there, we, we, can't, we can't please God with our suffering. Jesus already suffered. You know, you know God's in heaven like saying, oy vey, don't they get it? My son already took all the pain. He already took all the suffering. You can't add to that. There's nothing you can do to add to that. And so it's, it's not like we're entering into a deal where there's a trade-off of how much suffering and, fa and fasting I do and then God gives me the answer to prayer. The whole thing about fasting is, um, well, I'm not gonna say the whole thing. I know this is not making a deal with God. It's not making a vow to God. It's not like saying, well, okay, I'll fast for three days for an answer to this prayer. If it was that, then every time you stumble in your fast, then the whole, the whole deal's off. You broke the deal. And how many people have not stumbled when they're fasting? Let me tell you, you, you have no idea how good a peanut looks until you haven't eaten for two days. And then you put on a jacket, you have it worn for a while, and you stick your hand in the pocket, and lo and behold, there's a peanut. How did that get there? I do not know, but boy, does it look good. And so if it's a deal between you and God, as soon as you put that peanut in your mouth, you broke the deal, you broke the contract. And then you feel guilty, like, oh, I let God down, and he's so unhappy with me, I'll never get this prayer answered now. But if fasting is about something else, then even if you do stumble like that, then you, you, your fast can still be effective. And I had another illustration. Do I hear it? Okay, in this illustration, you're a young parent with a toddler, and you're changing their diaper, and you discovered that they stuffed some Cheerios down in the diaper, or they fell down into the diaper, and when you open that diaper up, the cheer no, they're not touching anything bad. They're just in the diaper, and you see them there, and, and how good they look, and how, how hungry you are. You are so hungry. I'm gonna tell you what, I've gone on a couple of really long fasts, and I was hungry enough to eat a Cheerio that came out of a diaper, Not, as long as it wasn't touching the wrong stuff, okay? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right, enough of that. That's foolishness. All right, so here's what happens. Here, I, I'm not saying that I'm, I've plumbed the depths of fasting, but I'm gonna say this. I'm sure it is all about reducing the static in your life. Have you, have you ever driven between two major cities and you're listening to a radio, you're listening to a radio station from Cincinnati and you're driving to um, Indianapolis or Cleveland or Pittsburgh and somewhere in the middle, the station that you're listening to starts to cut out. And there might be a station there on the same frequency and it starts to break in and there's this static. 
Well, we kind of live in that static zone right now between the signal that God wants to get to us and all the other signals and all the other clutter in our heads. When I give up food, what I'm doing is I am intentionally and I am in, in a very practical, tangible way prioritizing the kingdom of God over even the most important thing in life, which is food, which gives me life. And secondly, one of the greatest pleasures of life, which is food. How many of you don't look, how many of you know what you're gonna have for dinner tonight? Nobody? Okay. How many of you wish you knew? All right, that's good. How many of you are gonna insist to know now that I've asked that question? I, sometimes I wanna know what we're having for dinner tomorrow night. Food plays this huge role in our lives. And not only symbolically does it sustain my life, but it, and just on a day-to-day -day basis, it's a huge focus. And so when I intentionally say, I'm setting this aside for the kingdom, that does something to my mind. And then when I go for a period of time like that, for seeking God, you know, giving up maybe TV and social media too, that's not fasting. Fasting is going without food, by the way. That's what the word means, to go without food. But when you do that and, and you're focused on God, it clears so much of the clutter out of your life that you, you end up hearing from God more clearly. And when you hear from God more clearly, then you can paint the target. And then you can come on the basis of your standing with God and you can intercede with, you know, clarity brings passion. Clarity, and you could come with passion and with persistence and perseverance based upon the promises you have from God and, and see impact and, and real fruit from uh, the intercessory prayer that you engage in. So I have a good friend, Tori Fleckenstein, who's part of the church here. Tori's doing Sockham right now, and he shared some really cool stuff with me. Hello. I just want to clarify something. Tori is short for Torrance, not Victoria. You know, my, my mother, she just, she wanted to give me an original name. You know, the things we do to our children. Um, I want to tell you a story about intercession. Before I do, I want to mention something just about our identity. You know, Two scriptures come to mind, Isaiah 59 and, and Hebrews 7, where it talks about Jesus and it, it says, in Hebrews 7 says he, he ever lives to make intercession for us. And I, I think that's such a huge statement about Jesus's identity and his role. And if a statement like that's going to be made about Jesus and, and we extract our identity from and through Jesus, then intercession to us becomes a non-negotiable. So, you know, the way I view intercession is you just have to find a way to fit it into your life. You know, like prayers in a, an expandable file and you're just sliding one more sheet of paper down in there. One more thing. Take on intercession a little bit at a time and add it to your life and be like Jesus. So the story I have um, is about intercession. It's primarily about, not completely, but primarily about praying in the spirit groaning and travailing in the spirit, crying in the spirit. And, and literally, you know, the scripture uses the, the concept of, of birth pain. 
Um, there's, there's a lot of scriptures in the New Testament that connect birth pain to different things in the spirit. But I want to take you back about, um, I think it was 23 or 24 years ago. I was at a church in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. It was a small church, probably 100, 110 people. Um, you know, I went there. My wife went there. We, we weren't married at the time. She was the youth pastor. So I'm, uh, I'm at work on a Wednesday. And uh, it's about 10 o'clock in the morning. And I start getting this, um, this feeling inside my, you know, the pit of your stomach kind of feeling, right? And, you know, I just don't feel real good about it. And I'm, I'm going on through my day. You know, I'm kind of in and out of the office and out in the shop. And I, I owned a machine shop. And so I, I had enough liberty to kind of get out of work a little bit and go pray. And so I keep having this gnawing inside me, this, this prompting, this unction. But I don't know what it's about. I just, I can tell that it's, it's not about something lovely, you know. And so I'm praying and I'm inquiring of God. You know, I just keep asking God, what, what the heck is this about? What's this about? What's this about? And I just keep praying and I keep, it doesn't go away. So, you know, I go through lunch. I didn't even eat lunch. I was, I did unaware fasting. You know, I am not a faster. If I fast, it's supernatural. And uh, so, you know, I go through the whole day and through the whole day, this, this thing inside of me, I, I, I guess I shouldn't refer to the Holy Spirit as a thing, but this, this feeling inside me keeps growing and it becomes it's, it's less attractive. It's, I'm, I'm not loving this. You know, I, I have this sick feeling that something is not right. So I, I get home from work. I, I don't eat supper. I, I just go off in prayer. So it's a, it's a Wednesday night, about six o'clock. I'm, I'm going to Wednesday night Bible study in our church, you know, and, uh, so I haven't eaten two meals. I've had this terrible feeling inside me for, for hours I've been praying for hours, praying in the spirit, asking God questions. And, you know, all I got is I don't feel very good inside. And so I get to church, and I'm not sure if we did any worship at that point. I think maybe we did a couple worship songs. And at that point, um, I think I was ready to throw up. I, I felt so terrible on the inside of me. I thought... And right at that point, the word of the Lord started to come to me. So right now, I just want to press the pause button on my story, and I want to shift over into how God developed me in this place. Um, the Lord spoke to me on Thursday morning when I was thinking about sharing this, and, and he said, you really need to tell them how I walked you into intercession. And as I, as I thought about that, God opened up to me the thought of internal mechanisms, where we develop things inside our spirit, where we sense God and we know God and we can move with God. Um, the scripture that God gave me was um, 1 Corinthians 14.4. It says that a man that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That word edified literally means to build a house. If you go to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, that's what the word literally means. So when you pray in the Spirit, God is building something in you, as well as, you know, when you read the Word, things are built in your spirit, when you worship. Another scripture came to mind is in the book of Jude, building yourself up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay, so, so I developed, I've been saved this point, at this point about 10 or 12 years, and I had developed some, some internal awareness of God. So I knew God was dealing with me. And this whole time that God's dealing with me, I'm not getting a prophetic word here. I'm just being dealt with. God's preparing my heart. And the reason this mechanism was so critical is because there's a fine line between God dealing with you about something catastrophic that's about to happen 
and fear from the enemy. So you, you got to know. You got to know, is this internal? Is this external? Is this coming from outside me? Is this welling up from the inside of me? You got to know that. Because when God's revealing something catastrophic to you, if he happens to, something difficult, it doesn't come with balloons and cotton candy. You know, it, it carries the weight of the matter. And this was about, I was about to receive a catastrophic word. So go back into my story. I'm standing there and all of a sudden the Lord says to me, he says, someone is standing between life and death in that space. So I just, I just immediately go up to the pastor and I, I give him the word and he starts to sense something. And he says, well, who is it? And I said, I don't know. And so he tells me to give the word and I, I think he wanted me to give the word in hopes that someone else would have some more revelation about it and then we could, we could pray accordingly. Well, I give the word and, and no one had anything but what happened in the room was the presence of God fell. And the weight of the word became extremely heavy in the room and everyone, there was about 30 or 35 people there, something like that. And the weight of the word just rested on everyone. And there was like a, a, a sorrow and a grieving and a travailing that fell upon people. And everyone began to, to pray in the spirit and to cry out to God. You know, we're crying out, God deliver this person, whoever they are, but we're praying in the spirit and people are moaning and crying and weeping like birth pains. They're, they're, they're really crying out to God. So we go through this, through the, we had no service. All we did was worship and pray and pray for this person. It seemed as though the burden of prayer lifted. And so everybody went home. We all went back to our business. The next day I'm at work um, and about my wife, she's at, she was youth pastor. So she's out with the worship leader's wife um, doing children's ministry at the park. They had a bunch of kids at the park doing some little outreach thing or you know, some event. And uh, they get a call, I, and I got a call shortly after. Um, her husband, the worship leader, he was in an accident in his father's machine shop. What had happened was he had got under a CNC machine and, and stuck a large socket with a large breaker bar on the drive of the machine. Well, he didn't power it down. So when he moved it, the machine got an indication of movement and took up in the program, the computerized program, the machine took off. You got a 20 horsepower motor pushing against a socket the size of an apple and a breaker bar the size of a broomstick, something's gone. So the socket exploded and it exploded right into his forehead. That's a true story. So about that evening, so everybody gets home from work and you know, going up to the hospital, that evening, I, I think I was the last one up there. I got up there about 7 or 7.30. And uh, at that point, the doctor had already come out and, and spoken to his wife and, and, and told her that, you know, they didn't know if she was gonna, he was going to live. They didn't know. And if he did, he would probably be a vegetable because, and I wasn't sure if they took a scan at that point or not, but he said the fragments of the bone will be embedded in his brain and will probably have to do a frontal lobotomy. And then you, you become a vegetable, you lose your affect and all that negative stuff. And, and his wife, she, she didn't flinch. She's like, yeah, I understand you're the doctor and that's what you see, but I'm not moving. So at that point, um, we start praying again. And we start praying in the spirit, but 
but more than praying in the spirit, we, we really start declaring things. We, we're declaring this man's going to live and not die. We declare, you know, that he's going to be normal. Of course, he was a worship leader, so he could only be so normal. Um, <laughs> you know how they are. <laughs> no, really. I mean, you know, we're really, we're taking, uh, we, we were violent. I mean, we were violent in our, in our prayer session. We were violent in, at that hospital. I mean, I'm, we weren't apologetic. I mean, we knew this man's life was in the balance. It didn't really care what people thought. You know, it didn't matter. Anyway, so story goes on. About 1030, the surgeon comes out. He takes his wife. You know, we're all standing there. And he goes, well, let's go to another room. And she's like, no, just these are my friends. Let's, let's talk. And he said, well, when we opened up his head, all the, all the bones were just very neatly there in a pile. And we just picked them out. And there was no damage to his brain except for, you know, the trauma of the hit. And uh, so the story gets even better. Um, two weeks later, two weeks from the night of intercession, there he sits at the piano in the church singing a song he wrote out of Psalms 91 about how God delivered him from the, from the arrow and, and from the pestilence and from the darkness and from the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And uh, instead of having a funeral, we had a party. Amen. So I, I just have a few minutes to, to, to dive into the scripture. And I, I think it's important. If they would put the, um, put the scripture up out of Romans, the second one. I just want to mention a couple scriptures. And this is about speaking in tongues and the importance of it. Van talked about, you know, the importance of, of having targeted prayer and, and knowing something. But there's another way to target prayer when you don't know things, you know, that, but we need to target things. So in the, in the book of uh, Corinthians, it, it talks about speaking in tongues. And, you know, when we, we don't, when we speak in tongues, our mind's not fruitful. But when we speak with our understanding, our mind's fruitful. But it didn't say that the prayer was unfruitful. So you have to know that when we pray in the spirit, it is fruitful. It's just not fruitful to our minds. All right. Then in the, in the book of Romans, let me turn there real quick. This is an interesting scripture. If you start in verse 26, do I got verse 26 up there? Yeah. This is interesting. It says, uh, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. In what same way? Well, if you go back to verse 22 and 23 is where it's talking about. Let me read to you real quick. It says, not only this, but also we are, or no, verse 22. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruit of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So this whole concept of groaning and travailing and having something pulled out of you like a, like a woman going through this, this terrible pain of childbirth, this bringing forth is what's happening in prayer. Um, also, this word help means to take hold together with. That means like the Holy Spirit is grabbing hands with us and walking us through this prayer. So we have to trust him. 
and it says, we do not know how we should pray as we ought. We don't know. We don't always know. We don't always have enough information. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. I think the Amplified says he intercedes for us and through us with groanings too deep for words or too deep for articulate speech. Articulate speech is speech that we understand in our own minds, okay? Um, and he who searches the heart knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, so let me just kind of extract a few things out of this. When you pray in the spirit, your mind doesn't understand unless you interpret. But the Holy Spirit is in you. And everything you pray out of your spirit is from God because that's where the utterance comes from, right? On the day of Pentecost, they all spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we can trust that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. He is God. He knows what's going on in our hearts, and he knows what's going on in every situation. So trusting what comes out of your inner man and praying that way is an integral part of intercession. All right, I think I'm done there, man. That was good. That was good. I'll tell you what, I want to be part of a Christian life that does the kind of stuff he was talking about, don't you? So, uh, yeah. We're going to pray for you all right now, and then um, Amanda will come up in just a moment and end the service. I want to say this. Tuesday night, we're going to have a, a prayer meeting. It will be, we'll focus all around intercession, and um, you're welcome to come. It might be a good step for you just to come to that. We'll do some worship and then, um, and then prayer for about an hour and 15 minutes. And we don't, we don't put people on the spot. If you just want to come and see what happens, that's fine too. But it's going to be awesome, okay? I want to tell you that. It's going to be awesome. And um, would you all stand, please? Just hold your hands out like you're going to get a present right now. Pray for them, Tori, okay? Uh, Father, um, I, I bless your people. Mm-hmm. I, I ask that they would all receive the call to intercede. I pray that that would just rest upon them right now. That they would, you know, the, the scripture says that the prayers of righteous men and women avail much. These are people that are important, God. They have power and they have authority in the earth. God, rest upon them. Let the weight of intercession be upon them that they, they would change the world they live in. You are a people. I, I declare you are a people that cause change, that bring life. In Jesus' name, Father, release them. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep. Amen. Um, if, if you've never received a spirit, some people call it spiritual language. The word tongues is kind of weird, but um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And if you have not received that, the ability to pray in the Spirit, it's a gift that we believe any believer can have. It doesn't make you better or less, more or or less or anything like that, but it does give you more equipment for interceding. And so Tori's going to be over on this side of the auditorium, to my left, to your right. And so just come up and gather around him over there, and he'll help you, okay, if if you've never received this gift of um, prayer language. And... um, That's it, Amanda, come on up.